Pastor Nicole said earlier that we were in a series of, a sermon series on prayer about speaking to God. And so today I'll be reading Habakkuk's prayer from the book of Habakkuk. Isn't that a kind of a fun name to say? Say it with me, Habakkuk. Um, Anyways, chapter three. Habakkuk is just a really short book of the Old Testament, uh, a prophet. And he was a prophet at the time when the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, um, was, the northern kingdom had already been um, conquered, they had dispersed, and the southern kingdom was in a, in a time of waiting. It was probably around 609 to 600 BC. And the people of this kingdom of Judah were struggling. It did not look good. So let's uh, read God's word from Habakkuk 3. But before we do, with God's word open before us, let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us here to worship you. And we pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word that you spoke through the prophet Habakkuk long ago and that you still speak through with your Bible today. Lord, open our hearts to understand, our ears to hear, and our lives to reflect what we learn. In your name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, of Shingoanoth. Now, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that word, and it's not translated because we don't really know what it means. If you look in your footnotes of your Bible, usually it says something like, probably a literary or a musical term. But we don't really know. Verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand. Where his power was hidden, plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you raise against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you thrust the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. 
You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his heart when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Thus far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. So what is a toddler's favorite question? Yes, why? (laughs) Throughout the sermon, I'm going to have you ask that question. So we're going to start out with a little demonstration about how it works with a toddler. So you, the congregation at home too, um, or here, you'll be the toddler. You'll be the one asking why. So let's set the scene. It's about 7 o'clock tonight. Everyone's watching the Super Bowl or maybe the commercials in between plays. Or maybe because it's the fourth year, maybe you instead choose to watch the Olympics. But whatever you're watching, the family's gathered around the TV. And all of a sudden the parent realizes, oh, it's 7 o'clock. The toddler has to go to bed. Time for bed, oh toddler. Because it's 7 p.m. and that's your bedtime. Because you need lots of sleep. Because your body needs to get a good night's sleep. So that you can have energy for tomorrow. Because we like it when you're in a good mood. Because you're just more fun to be around. Okay, at this point, the adult in the conversation is usually wishing they had just said, because I said so, picked them up, and walked out of the room. Toddlers are curious. They are anxious to find out what the world is like and how it works. And they wonder why they always have to be the one to go first to bed, especially on those special days. Often, as a parent, It seems like really they're just trying to push us to see how long we can put up with it. But overall, they really do want to know why. And if we think about it, we all want to know. We want those questions answered. I mean, honestly, how many of you have asked God in the last few years? Why are you allowing this pandemic? Why haven't you just taken it away? 
Why are you letting your church be fractured by the differences of opinion? Why, when you promise life abundant, is it that we're not even able to spend time with family and friends? Why, how is life abundant, missing out on all the milestones that we looked forward to? Why can't we just go back to normal? Have you ever noticed the thing about asking why? For, toddler, for toddlers, the answers never really seem to actually put an end to the inquiry, do they? Every time you answer the question why, it seems to lend itself to another question why. And I'm guessing that even if God was here answering our why questions of the last few years, it wouldn't necessarily easily satisfy us. There'd always be another question, probing further into how God is working and in seeing the world. When faced with unanswered why questions, how do we pray? This question of why is, is found throughout the Bible. We can find people asking it all the time. The book of Psalms is full of poems asking God why. The book of Job, Job spends chapters and chapters asking God why. Today we read the last chapter of Habakkuk. In this book, Habakkuk asks God why. Now, if you were paying attention when I read it a few minutes ago, you might want to correct me and say, but in this chapter, Habakkuk never asked why. And you'd be right. There were no why questions in this last chapter. But there were in the first two chapters. And so to really understand this prayer and to know where this prayer is coming from in the third chapter, we need to know what has taken place in the first two. So I'll summarize them. The book of Habakkuk is a conversation between God and the prophet. Habakkuk complains twice, God answers twice, and then the book ends with this prayer. Habakkuk's first complaint is about the people of Israel. He sees all the violence and the conflicts that are happening in his community, and he wonders how long God is going to let it happen. God's laws were being completely ignored by the people. And in verse 4, it says that the justice God had commanded of his people was being perverted. Habakkuk uses the toddler's favorite question in chapter 1, verse 3, and I'll have you start it out. Do you make me look at injustice? Do you tolerate wrong? God answers Habakkuk's questions, telling him that God is working on it. God is raising up the Babylonian empire to come and defeat the Israelites. The Israelites will be punished for what they are doing to each other. 
God will not let them get away with it. But God's answer doesn't sit well with Habakkuk. So he goes into his second complaint. As he wonders why God is solving the problems of violence with more violence. Maybe parents can relate if they've ever been tempted to spank your kids to teach them not to hit. Habakkuk says, God, you are great and you are holy. You have every right to punish the people and you can't tolerate God. But then do you allow the wicked to overthrow your people? How does more violence actually help anything? God responds again, saying that God will not let this go on forever. Babylon will not triumph in the end. God's glory will fill the earth. God declares that there is trouble coming for these people. God will not let them win in the end. In chapter 2, verse 3, God tells Habakkuk, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So twice Habakkuk has answered or asked the question why about how God is working in the world. From his perspective, things seem dark. Twice God answers, God will not put up with the violence in the world. Justice will come even though it seems to be taking its time. It will come. The world will be put to right. Wait, God says. It's coming. This situation that the people, that Habakkuk and the people of Israel find themselves in is a familiar one for us. We too are in a time of waiting. Hundreds of years, the the Israel waited And then Jesus was born, the Messiah, the savior of the world. He grew, he taught, he gathered people to him, he changed the world with his death and resurrection. Jesus said he was coming back and that the king, then the kingdom of God would fill the earth. And so we wait. We wait in this time of in-between Jesus coming as a baby, and Jesus coming back to complete justice and restoration. And as we wait, we look around us and we see the injustice, the poverty, the sickness, the conflicts, the hate. And we ask with Habakkuk, why? Why do you make us look at on injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before us. There is strife and conflicts abound. For us, God answers in Jesus. John 15 verses 9 to 17 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that your joy may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've been made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. But, we say, there is still hate. There is still conflict. With Habakkuk, we have more why questions. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And God answers us, through John and the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with his is." God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's from Revelation 21. So we wait. But how do we pray in this time of waiting? We've asked God why. God has answered but we're often like the toddler who wants to keep asking why. There is something deeper than the why questions we can ask that they cannot get to. So how then are we to pray? Habakkuk 3 gives us a way to pray in this time of waiting as we see violence and strife and conflict all around us. This prayer of Habakkuk no longer is one where he's asking why. God has told Habakkuk God's plan for the world. 
The earth is the Lord's, and God will make everything right. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the seas. Habakkuk does not doubt that God will fulfill God's promises. And so it is with God's promises that Habakkuk starts his prayer. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk asks God to remember God's mercy. Remember all you have done. Remember what you said you would do. Elizabeth Achtheimer, in her commentary on Habakkuk, says it this way. It's as if the prophet were praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yes, O Lord, do it. Through these simple words, Habakkuk acknowledges that it is through God these things will happen. It is God's work that will set the world right. We have been invited to be part of that work, but ultimately, it's God's work. The focus is on God's rule, God's way, God's glory in the world. The next part of Habakkuk's prayer takes up the majority of it, verses 3 to 15. And these verses are a vision that Habakkuk sees of God's victory over all the earth. In the first part of it, he reaches back in Israel's history and he tells the stories about how the Israelites lived and how God worked among them. He talks about when the people met God on Mount Sinai and God became their king. And then Habakkuk prays about the time when God will come back again this time as king over all the earth. The commentator Elizabeth Actimer again explains that God comes again to conquer the chaos of evil in all the nations. God is seen as a warrior king and is a picture, and, and Habakkuk pictures the final battle. And I read these lines of scripture says, sun and moon, and stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. When I read those words, it's then I realize why the people at Jesus' time had such a hard time seeing that Jesus was the Messiah. Because they were expecting the warrior king that would stand up and show his power through angry rivers, torrents of water, flying arrows, trampling evil in its way. Not a human who showed power through weakness, 
and then died on a cross. But here's the real story. The deeper story behind the story. Jesus' conquering of death was an act of even greater power than all that in this passage. God's purpose, as told by Habakkuk, and as told by Jesus in his life and death and resurrection, was to bring salvation to those who trust God, to give life to those who depend on God as their only helper. Habakkuk's prayer then moves again to focus back on his present moment. As he thinks about all that God has done and is going to do, the enormity of God's power comes home to him. He says, I I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Habakkuk then has to decide, how is he going to respond to this power, to the glory that he's seen of the Lord? He has caught a glimpse of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Nothing has changed in his circumstances. Habakkuk is still in the midst of conflict, of strife, of violence. His fellow Israelites are still being cruel to each other. Injustice is still persistent, and the threat of Babylon's conquest still looms large. But Habakkuk's questions have been stilled, and he prays a prayer of faith. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. No matter what, Habakkuk believes that nothing can separate him from God's love. Even though the questions remain, even though things look dark and unsure, Habakkuk receives his strength to keep going because of God. God is his salvation. God will provide a way through. Now Habakkuk did not live to see the Messiah born. But he knew about faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament has a chapter about people of faith. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Habakkuk is one of those prophets mentioned. Living by faith. But the author, when he summarizes all these stories of faith, he says none of these, or these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. 
since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Habakkuk did not live to see his vision fulfilled, but he did live with faith. In this time of waiting, of in-between, of why questions, of exhaustion, of conflict within the church and within families, of an injustice towards marginalized people, Habakkuk invites us to pray a prayer of faith, to live by faith and so also experience the joy of God. Now, have you ever noticed that most superhero movies are about friendship, having faith and doing what's right, even in impossible circumstances? I've been watching some of the Marvel movies again lately. And at the beginning of the movie, The Avengers, Nick Fury, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., and the brains behind much of what's going on there, sums up the faith he has in the world and the work that he was part of. The building around them is about to collapse, implode all about them, and they're evacuating everybody to try and get everybody safe. It's a very exciting moment in the movie. And he tells one of his subordinates, Maria Hill, to pack up all the experimental equipment they've been working on. And she responds, sir, is that really a priority right now? You can't really blame her, right? Like, isn't people more important? And he looks at her and he says, until such time as the world ends, we will act as though it intends to spin on. And for Nick Fury, that means continuing the work he has started. He has faith that they will get out of this situation. And he never gives up doing what he thinks is the right thing to do, even when everything seems hopeless. Habakkuk demonstrates that kind of faith. Even though things look bad, even though the pandemic continues, even though illnesses come, even when conflicts are overwhelming, yet we can rejoice in the Lord. Yet we can trust that the day of justice will come. Yet we can find joy in what God is doing in the world. Habakkuk's prayers Not only this prayer of faith from chapter 3, but all his conversations with God can help us as we live in our in-between times. The toddler's why questions are good questions. And God never gets angry at Habakkuk or us for asking these questions or even for complaining about what we see and experience God, and God is able to take all that. And Habakkuk is willing to wait for the answer and expects God to answer and then responds in faith. He does not imply that it'll be easy or fun. He admits to feeling overwhelmed by it when his heart's pound Despair creeps into his bones. His legs tremble. 
but there is faith, there is joy. It is God, his Savior and Lord, who makes it possible for him to keep going, to keep trudging through life when it seems impossible. This book, this short little book of the Old Testament was a gift to us to know how to pray in the most difficult times, to ask our why questions, to tell God about how, what we see in the world and how it affects us, to complain about how wrong everything seems, to act, to ask God to act, to show God's power again and to make things right in the world. And then we can pray in faith, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To conclude our time of studying God's word, I've composed my own prayer of Habakkuk. So let's pray. Lord, we have heard about your work in the world. We stand in awe of how you bring healing and restoration. Do this work again here today. Make your ways known. Even when we are hurtful and deserve your anger, remember your grace and mercy to us. God, you came, a baby born in the most humble places, to a teenage girl and a carpenter husband. As you lived and taught, you showed us a different way of being in the world. You healed, you forgave, and brought them powerful down, raised the lowly, and loved all those who find themselves on the fringes of society. We see your anger as you turned your back on Jesus as he died on the cross. We know you cannot stand wrongdoing. Your justice demands payment, and then you made that payment for us. Many thought they had defeated Jesus that day, but they were surprised a few days later, in a violent earthquake, you sent your angel to roll back the stone and sit on it. Those guarding the tomb were so afraid of your power, they shook and became like dead men. The women who were nearby bore the news of your victory to the rest of the disciples. And Lord, we know you will return and make things right. You will live among us. You will walk with us. You will be our God and we will be your people. You have promised to wipe away every tear from our eyes, to bring us into complete relationship with you. We hear these promises and our hearts pound. Your glory and greatness brings us to our knees. We still feel the pain of the world we live in now. Sometimes the darkness overwhelms us and we are paralyzed with uncertainty and fear. Yet, despite that, we will wait for the day of your return, the day you bring full restoration. Though the pandemic continues and your people argue about the right, what the right response is, though we see and hear of wars and threats of wars, though we are tired, exhausted, and overwhelmed, 
Though there seems to be no end of hurt and pain, yet we will rejoice in you, Lord. We will be joyful in you, God our Savior. You are our sovereign Lord. You are our strength. You will raise us up. You will give us the strength to keep going. You will bring us to the place where we can trust in your goodness. Thank you. Amen.